The Chasing Daylight Podcast is brought to you by Good Walk Coffee Company. Premium coffee is born from a shared passion for great coffee and our love for the game of golf. We source the best beans from around the world, roast them to perfection, and deliver fresh to your door. Buy a single bag from our website or do yourself a favor and subscribe to save 15%, get free shipping, and never run out of your new favorite coffee. Go to goodwalkcoffee.com to order now. That is goodwalkcoffee.com. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. At Augusta, he's on his final hole. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about a two iron, I think. Billy, 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 Billy. Whoa, Billy, Billy, Billy. Let it happen. Be the ball. Be the ball, man. You're not being the ball, Danny. Well, it's kind of difficult with you talking like okay. that. Okay, I'm not talking. Miss it, no, miss! 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 Welcome back into the Chasing Daylight, everybody. Uh, I want to say, first off, thank you for tuning in. There are thousands upon thousands of podcasts out there and thousands upon thousands of golf podcasts out there. So the fact that you're taking a little bit of time out of your day to tune us on, hear what we got to say, I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And today on the show, this is episode number 35, I've got a friend of mine that I've known, gosh, how long have we known each other now? It's almost eight years, nine years. I started at UNLV in 2012. 2012. So, so yeah, uh, eight years. Eight years. Um, Mr. James fights, uh, Northwest Pacific Northwestern born and major venture down to the desert and, uh, playing at UNLV. That's where we met. Um, so what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Yeah. Born and born and raised in, uh, Tacoma, Washington, about a mile from Chambers Bay. And I always say I've been chasing the sunshine ever since I could leave there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, a little gloomy up there for, for the majority of the years or more majority of the year. Do you, yeah, how much, yeah. you get back quite a bit though. So you're not like completely missing it. Yeah. So um, my dad's got a car dealership up there and I do some driving for him, uh, bringing cars up from here. And um, obviously in the summer months down in Arizona, it's pretty hot. So like to escape up there. I've got a great, great golf course, Tacoma Country Club that I can play and practice at up there. Um, and I really enjoy it for, you know, the months that I'm up there during the summer. So tell a little bit, tell everybody a little bit about your, your story. Um, you junior golf, you were, I don't know, phenom or you were a highly rated collegiate or junior golfer. And, uh, you had some options of where you want to go. Um, Start out where where you started with your career in golf, and then we'll uh, get to UNLV here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So I've probably had a club in my hand since about the time I could walk. Um, but I was blessed with height, and I've been been like six foot two since sixth grade or so. Um, so I played all those other sports growing up. Um, started playing golf tournaments when I was uh, 11. 11, I played my first year of Washington Junior Golf, and uh, played really well and finished second in the state tournament and kind of figured it was something I was pretty good at. And, 
continued on uh, playing other sports, playing golf. And then when I was in eighth grade, I won a AJGA tournament when I was 14. And that's American Junior Golf Association for anybody that doesn't know. It's uh, kind of like the PGA Tour for junior golf in, uh, in the U.S. And um, from there, I kind of shifted my focus onto golf as I got into high school and uh, stopped playing the other sports, uh, baseball, basketball, football, anything else that I could get hurt at. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, went on uh, to Bellman Prep, uh, played four years of golf there, lost the state tournament my freshman year by one, um, won it my sophomore year, uh, but I was the only one on my team that, made the cut and qualified. So we didn't have a chance at the team title. And then my junior year, uh, won it as a team, which was really fun. Um, and then at that point I'd had, you know, a lot of success in the Northwest and a little bit of success nationally and was getting recruited pretty good. Well, from, uh, a decent number of schools, especially Northwest schools. Um, when I kind of got to decision time, uh, it was UNLV, UCLA, Washington, Oregon. And um, I didn't take a visit to UCLA, but I, I took visit, took a few visits at Washington because it was so close. Um, took a visit down at Oregon and took a visit at UNLV and uh, kind of came down to weather um, for me, a lot of it, a uh, little bit of facilities. Um, but it was tough because uh, Matt Thurman was at Washington. He's now at Arizona State. He's just an awesome guy, awesome coach, and he's done amazing things at both schools, especially at Washington, what he was able to do. Getting that school to a perennial top 25 in bad weather is, is amazing. And obviously, Casey Martin, uh, you know, being such a great player, playing at Stanford with Tiger, and uh, kind of the support that Oregon had with Nike uh, was, was really tough, tough not to go there. Um, but ultimately, it was it was weather and uh, golf courses that kind of drove me to UNLV and obviously a great, great history with Dwayne Knight of turning out PGA Tour players. Yeah, and well, Eugene Country Club, I mean, gosh, darn, that, I got to play that last year with Andrew and man, that's a special place. So, uh, if, I had, if, I had a, if I had a top five courses in the Northwest, traditional you know, style golf courses, Eugene is definitely in it and very close to the top it's amazing amazing golf course i had such a good time there and it, it was pretty breezy and you know i'm i'm not somebody who's who hits 75 80 percent fairways so i got to <laughs> i got to see a lot of the 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 course that is not meant to be seen <laughs> um but oh my goodness it was absolutely spectacular that that place it's it's amazing. It's just amazing. The the trees and the grass and the, the grass is so pure. So but I remember one of our first conversations that we had, um, you were telling me that, you know, you took one of the reasons you picked UNLV was because it was going to give you an opportunity to play in weather that you're not used to playing in. And I thought, you know, coming from a, a 20 year old or 19 year at the time, um, that was, that was impressive that you looked at that aspect because yeah you could have stayed home and just rocked it in what you're used to but you challenged yourself and and put your put your talents on the line to come to a, a you know a highly ranked f team at, at college at UNLV but also give yourself a chance to play some type of golf that that you knew going forward you were going to need to know how to play yeah absolutely um and 
I'd also include in that basket of whether um, golf course architecture. I mean, so many golf courses in the Northwest are just, you know, 6,700 yards, tree lines, uh, keep the ball in the fairway. Uh, and obviously you want to keep in the fairway anywhere you go, but you get out on a desert layout, it's a little bit more target oriented. And um, so that was, that was another aspect was playing a little bit more of, of different layouts and, one of the amazing things at UNLV is with one phone call, we could play it any course in the city. And uh, that was definitely a, a benefit from directly from Dwayne Knight's uh, kind of influence and his, um, you know, kind of stature in the community of golf in Las Vegas. Well, yeah. And you guys, the UNLV players um, you actually represent very well. Cause I remember it was, <laughs> it was summertime when the first time we played and you came out in you know, pants and polo tucked in. And I was like, wow, what are you doing? And you're like, Hey, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, don't forget a clean shave. Oh yeah. <laughs> and a clean shave. <laughs> yes. And uh, you're like, Hey, I'm, you know, just cause I'm out here, not in a school event or I'm, I'm not, you know, under school hours doesn't mean I'm not representing UNLV. And, and uh, that just kind of shows you the class that coach Knight, you know, instills into his players. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of that sticks with the guys as they, as they go on, maybe not the shaving thing, you know, you got Ryan Moore out there <laughs> with the beard and you got Charlie Hoffman with hair down to his shoulders. And uh, maybe they let that part slide a little bit, but the professionalism that, that coach Knight instills in his players definitely carries on. So uh, you spent some time at UNLV, uh, ended up transferring over to Pacific. And I know um, just from my personal life with you, I know you went through some struggles here and um, not only just with your golf game, but personally, and you righted the ship. And I mean, as far as stories go that I, I don't think get a lot of uh, headlines, um, you, you dealt with some alcoholism and you have, you know, used your faith and your family and your love of golf and got yourself on a path that is absolutely, truly, truly remarkable in my eyes. Yeah, man. I, I always say, I feel like I've, you know, I'm 26 right now. I feel like I've already lived two lives. And, uh, when I was at UNLV, it was a lot of, uh, you know, partying and drinking and not really doing all the right things it takes to be great. And I transferred to Pacific mostly because I thought that um, just a change of scenery and getting out of the kind of Las Vegas scene would kind of get me out of that phase. Uh, and, it, and it didn't, you know, I, I kind of continued on doing some of the stuff at Pacific, but then after a year at Pacific was when I got sober, um, just had four years of sobriety back in February. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without the support that I had from, you know, the coach that took me in at Pacific, um, my parents, Jesus, uh, my faith, all that kind of has been instrumental. in, um, I guess you'd call it a turnaround. Uh, when I left UNLV, um, you know, alcohol, big problem, uh, weight, big problem. I was almost 240 pounds. Um, and when I got sober and was at Pacific, I 
um, had about a one full year left uh, of golf when I uh, kind of cleaned up my act a little bit. And I said, listen, like, you know, this is kind of me talking to myself. I, I said, James, you've worked the majority of your life to play golf at a high level on the PGA Tour and chase that dream. What do we have to do? What does everybody else do that is already there? Um, and so the partying went away, the drinking went away, uh, got into fitness, started eating better, stopped drinking seven Dr. Peppers a day. Uh, <laughs> and me, me, me and Scott Stalling threw on those Dr. Peppers, man. Um, and uh, just really turned things around. It was slow, man. It was slow. Uh, it felt like an eternity uh, as far as the progress I was making. Um, but then kind of all of a sudden you look back on it a year or two after I started and, and it was night and day differences. Uh, you know, I didn't even recognize the, recognize myself. And your, I like that. Your you transformation, know, doing the right stuff. your transformation has been unreal. And yeah, if, if you've not, if you're not following him, um, on Instagram, you need to, uh, the, <laughs> you're kind of a foodie. And so you're, you're not going to get a whole ton of golf content. You're going to get some good golf content, but <laughs> you're going to get a lot of pasta. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a lot good. of cat pictures, yeah. but your transformation and has been just incredible to watch. It's inspiring. And it's unfortunately it's, it hasn't been as inspiring to me as I should let it be. <laughs> um, but wow, man, just absolutely blown away with, that whole, this part of your life that you, you're in control of now. And it's, it's been a joy to watch you grow as a person and a player. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I, one of the biggest things that helped me was I just, I started in, and this kind of goes along with what we were talking about before we came on with content. There's just so much information out there. And if you just kind of can tune into the right people, um, there was about, three guys that I just kind of started listening to what they had to say. They had their stuff together and I liked what they had to say. Uh, Eric Thomas, David Goggins and Jocko, and they're kind of hardcore guys, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta not blame other people. You know, you're kind of responsible for just about everything that goes on in your life. And um, you know, Jocko's just a hardcore disciplined guy. I kind of got my, early wake up thing from him. He wakes up at four every morning and I wake up at four every morning. Now I, I, I bet I haven't slept past five thirty in the morning in three years. Yeah. It just becomes like my internal clock is, is five forty-five. That's when I just start, my eyes start moving and, you know, and I'm up by six and even on yeah, days that I, mean, I don't I, have to, I just get up. I'm like, Oh, let's get going. Coffee, <laughs> TV. Let's go. Well, there's so much you can do now with, these podcasts and, and, you know, so much you can do as far as working on yourself in nice, quiet, you know, relax. The world's not moving yet. Uh, 4 a.m. is like the most peaceful time of my day for it, sure. It, I agree a hundred percent. There's nothing I like more than getting up early, getting myself a cup of coffee, kicking back, putting on the sports center and just having a nice hour, hour and a half to myself before the chaos ensues. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and uh yeah it's been been really beneficial and i know uh from just my first couple months of getting after it with the with the fitness this was 
about three and a half years ago, I started. And when I started, I'd already dropped a little weight because I had not been drinking for six or eight months coming into that. Uh, that'll definitely drop some weight. But I started at 220 and I've been uh, about 175 for the last year and a half, two years. Wow. Um, and when I started, I, I, you know, the couple of times I would not wake up and I would, you know, I'm going to work out in the evening tonight and it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I got to, I got to get up. I do about 30, 40 minutes of kind of whether it's personal reflection, um, like a little Bible study and, uh, that kind of stuff. And then I work out and I'm done by six thirty-seven when everybody else is waking up, just waking up. Yeah. So as far as golf goes, um, love the personal story. It's something that you should definitely, you know, hold high in your heart. It's, it's something to be proud of, but let's, let's get into some golf. Um, yeah. you, you left college and you're, you're living the mini tour Q schools, that life that I don't think a lot of people are aware of what goes into that. I mean, they, they hear the stories of Q2, you know, or money qualifiers and this and, and Q school that, but give us an idea of what your schedule is like now as you're, you're trying to get out into these events. Well, I mean, prior to Corona taking over and shutting everything down, what was a typical week like for, for you in, on the mini tour life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me back it up just a, about a year real quick, uh, real quick. Oh, so I, I hadn't played hardly at all in college. And then I get to my last year there where I'd kind of changed my life a little bit. And I ended up playing number one on our team at Pacific for every event and then finished off with a nice top 10 at conference and was playing well. And that's kind of when I decided to give it a go. Um, you know, I was going to, all my eggs were in one basket, so to speak, as far as I was doing all the right things. And that's when I decided that I wanted to, to try to play after I got done. Um, I went off to the Dakotas tour, my first, uh, summer out of college and uh the reason i'm kind of breaking this down um seasonally is because on the mini tours it's kind of seasonal um the about the four summer months are a lot different than kind of the quote unquote off season uh -huh. um the summer months are kind of spent for most guys that are on the mini tours are spent out in the midwest area or the south southeast depending on which tour you're playing um but I basically loaded up a car full of a lot more stuff than I needed apparently and <laughs> went, <laughs> went out to the first event on the Dakotas tour in Vermilion, South Dakota. And for a guy that's lived in populations of, you know, half a million plus his whole life, uh, Vermilion was a little bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but basically I was out, on the Dakotas tour for two and a half months straight. Uh, so that was, I think I was out there for 10 weeks and played 14 events in 10 weeks. So how does that wear on you mentally going to an area of the country you're not familiar with? It's not, you know, 24 hour town like Vegas and parts of California can be. How did that changed your outlook on competing in at golf so first of all it's, it's lonely um there's you know veterans out on the tour that do a, on that tour that do a really good job of 
kind of showing you the ropes and you know here's where uh you know here's where you can stay hey, uh, we had a lot of host housing out there and you just kind of i mean it's it's an area of the country that's just the nicest people on the planet um i still have good friends in the vermilion area because i ended up staying in a buddy of mine's apartment that went to the university there and stayed there for like a month straight because there was four or five events within an hour of there oh, uh, nice. so i did it a little bit wrong my first year out there i played every event i could my my thought process was i'm not in school i don't have anything else going on i'm just i love golf i'm just gonna play as much as i can this is awesome i got you know two events a week most weeks and this is great and then I get to about event number eight and I'm just dragging like we're in <laughs> gas is you know, out. <laughs> the Midwest. It's 90 degrees. It's 80% humidity. We're wearing pants. We're walking. It's hot. And it's like by week or by tournament number eight, it's like, holy cow, I probably should take a break. And, uh, you know, it's not luxurious, right? It's not PGA oh, tour. There's no glory know, up there. There's no, you know, courtesy cars. There's no, I mean, we had to pay for range balls at some of the places. It's not uh, not glamorous <laughs> by any means. That's something um, you don't hear too often about players and events having to pay for range balls. Uh, yeah, I mean, the mini tours are a different animal, and some of them are, are better than others. Uh, end of the day, all you want is uh, a good payout as far as the you know the tour that you're playing not taking uh, much of the money and maybe adding some if they've got good sponsors. Um, so it's, uh, it was fun. It was a good learning year, uh, that summer was, and then I headed down to Phoenix, Arizona and stayed with a family friend for six months down here, uh, from probably the middle of September to the beginning of May. There's two or three, well, there's two or three mini tours in the Phoenix area that will run, uh, you know, an event every week or two weeks. Um, and it's honestly, I swear the average lifespan of a mini tour is about three years because it's, there's been some turnover since just since I've been down here the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not a lot of money in it. No, no, there's not. And, and for somebody to keep running it, they got to take money and then you get less players because there's less money for the players. And it's a, uh, it's a weird cycle. You know, the ones that have done really well, uh, the Golden State Tour has been running for a long time. Dakota's Tour, I think, is the longest running mini tour in the country. Started in the early 80s. Oh, wow. Um, the ones that do really well, you know, kind of have a niche or, or have a, you know, kind of have their system figured out. The Dakota's Tour runs uh, every tournament as a pro-am. So all the money from the AMs, uh, you know, goes into the purse and goes into the fees and whatnot. So none of the money that the players put up gets taken out of the purse. That's good. Um, so they've got a really good gig in the way that they run their events up there. But at the same time, you're also playing, you know, your first two rounds with AMs and you never know what you're going to get. So on the, on the Q, Q school side of it, you've decided to go about it a little bit differently than a lot of the guys you'll, you'll see, you know, the, the Instagram guys that are out there and even, you know, Twitter, the guys that go out, um, invest a lot of money in the PGA Q school but you're going about it a different route. Let everybody know how, what you're doing and why you chose to go that way. So my first two years, I did play Canadian Q school. I didn't get through. Um, and I've kind of realized that the best way I think to go about it might be 
Monday qualifiers, especially for Canada. And it works out really well for me because the first four events on Canada tour are very close to where my parents live. Um, so I can go up there and if I Monday into an event and play well, I can secure status for the rest of the year without paying the, you know, mid four figures that it costs to go to Q school. Um, I think at the end of the day, you have to have status somewhere and I haven't you know, achieved that yet. Um, so that's obviously one of my goals for this year is to gain status on a PGA sanctioned tour. Uh, but it, also I haven't gone to corn Ferry Q school at all. And I've had three chances to do that now, but I just haven't seen the success that I'd like to see at this level before putting up that kind of money. And you get the, you know, shout out to Monday Q info guy on Twitter, oh, you know, he phenomenal account to follow. <laughs> he puts out all the stats and the amount of guys that, make it from prequal all the way to finals. I mean, the last two years, it's been like seven out of 1600. It's, you know, it's, it's insane. Just, <laughs> the numbers just aren't there to justify. And things. it's not cheap. What's, what's the Q schools run? What do we, so everybody so knows. If you, have to, if you have to go to pre-qualifying for corn Ferry, that's I think around 2,500. Um, and then if you get through that, it's another 2,800 and that gets you, through the rest of Q school, but you have to keep advancing through first stage, second stage, and then you get to finals. Um, and then you've got your expenses at each one of those events, you know, between hotel and food and flight and rental car and all that. Uh, you know, I mean, Q school from pre-qualifying finals is a $10,000 ordeal. Yeah. That's not a lot of people talk about that side of it. And, and, you know, when you get status on, a Latin tour or PJ tour, China or Canadian tour, uh, you automatically skip pre-qualifying. And if you play well on those tours, you can skip uh, second stage, uh, first stage, or if you play really well, you can skip second stage and go straight to finals. And when you start getting into that territory, then it starts making a lot of sense when you only have to play well at one or two tournaments. I mean, well, yeah, the budget goes four, way down four, and the, the amount of golf goes, goes down. down and, and, yeah. You don't, uh, have to be on you know four weeks four four day tournaments in a row with the stress of q school there's just so many variables when you start putting putting uh you know four tournaments in a row together uh when you can start using you know using a whole season of canada to skip two of those tournaments just a massive massive relief yeah, I remember the uh, one of my favorite tweets from the Monday Qualifier guy when he was talking about uh, a PGA Championships event. He goes, "For all of those who think that you're going to turn 55 or turn 50 and just show up and and make a tournament, there was a combined. It was like 200 wins, three majors. You know, <laughs> just this ridiculous amount of history in, in players that were in the event. So it's it's not just a you know you're going to show up and and play well and you're in. It's it's there's some guys out there that can sling it that are not getting into events. Yeah. So don't even get me started going down that rabbit hole. Cause the champions <laughs> tour is the most closed tour on the planet. Their Q school has like three spots every year and their qualification to get onto the tour is crazy. You had to win. I don't know how many times on PGA tour to automatically go to champions tour. Uh, I think it might be 10, eight, something in there. And then, so you got guys that are, 
six-time PGA Tour winners that have to go to Q school, and there's only three spots. Yeah. Four spots. It's insane. It's insane. Uh, and then you got to go up against Bernhard, so... Yeah, yeah, like a, a, <laughs> I swear, I I gotta get on whatever he's on because he is not aging at all. He's looked the same <laughs> for the last ten years. He hasn't. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. So one something that uh, you were excited to talk about with this uh, episode was something that took place last week. Was it the Outlaw Tour? Yes. Yeah, yes. something that took place on the Outlaw Tour, and I don't know if how many uh, Twitter is a great. I used to be on Twitter a lot. I'm not on it as much anymore, but it's it's a great place to find little tidbits and little stories and little uh, things that happen. Um, but you were involved, and in, James sent me a text going, not exactly how you want to make a headline. Um, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? So I read it, and then then I went back and looked at the picture you sent, and I'm like, oh, you were part of this. So there, there was a, a group of players that got DQ'd at this event, and um, the... I don't want to say backlash, but the reaction from some people were really shocking. And you had a, a, a really good take on the whole situation. Just let everybody know what happened so they can get in what we're talking about here. Yeah. Just to, just to preface, I don't know if I was excited to talk about it. I, just said <laughs> that I, I think, I think I could offer some good insight on it. There we go. <laughs> I'll retract my uh, excited. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we were playing an outlaw tour event last week. And it was at Barado Golf Club in Buckeye, Arizona, which is where I'm a member and where I play and where I live. Uh, so obviously I was pretty excited for the tournament. We never play an event out here. We only out here because the wigwam closed down because of uh, coronavirus. And so they moved it over here because we were open. And uh, okay, so the gist of the story is that 14 guys got disqualified for playing in the wrong tee box on the third hole, which is a par three downhill. And of those 14, there was three guys that had Horn Ferry tour status. Uh, and one of them, that's basically a PGA tour player, TJ Vogel, Mr. Monday qualifier. I think he yeah. Monday qualified eight, eight times last year. Good grief. Uh, so it's not, it's not like it was Joe Schmoes that made this mistake and it was 14 players, a quarter of the field. Um, so what happened was the third hole is a par three, 222 yards from the back tee. And the pin was in the back that day and the tee box was on the, uh, one up tee box. So on our scorecard, it said 222 and the tee box was on the 206 box. Now it, we got a lot of rain in March uh, and everything is growing. So there's big bushes around all the tee boxes. Can't see the next tee up from the tee that you're on. And where we parked on the cart path, couldn't see that tee box either. And the group in front of us was still on the tee when we pulled up. Part three is usually back up a little bit. And so we're, our carts are parked behind theirs. They hit. Uh, we go over. We hit. And we get to nine. And one of the or one of the guys running the tournaments behind the green is like, how far did you guys play? Uh, how far did you guys play three from? And we said, I don't know, uh, 222, pin was back, 235. He's like, you guys played the wrong tee box. You guys are disqualified. I was like, what are you talking about? The group in front of us played from there, and the group behind us was on the tee with us, and they played from there. He's like, oh, boy, because that was the first tee had heard about it uh, because a rules official – had 
either seen or gotten wind of it and gone out there and caught a group that was on the green that had played from the wrong tee and sent them back to the tee to replay the hole, which is the uh, the procedure for playing a wrong tee box is if you tee off on the next tee, you're DQ'd. Yeah. If you catch it before you finish the hole, you can go back, replay the hole and with a two-shot penalty from the correct tee box. So he went out and found a group that had played the wrong tee, and the, the group behind them was also on the wrong tee getting ready to hit. I mean, this thing could have gone all the way down the field anyways. Uh, so I just birdied seven, eight, nine. I was pretty pumped and didn't find out that we get DQ'd. Oh. So we pull off over to the scoring area and the group in front of us comes off 10 and goes to the scoring area. And then the next four groups behind us all come through nine, talk to the guy running in, all come into the clubhouse. So we got 14 or 15 guys at the clubhouse there. And you got tempers flying and guys grilling Jesse and trying to, Jesse, the guy running the tournament and, you know, he took it so well. I mean, he heard everybody out. Um, but basically the backlash on Twitter, um, you know, I kind of, I put out a statement uh, on Twitter that kind of got picked up by Golf Digest and retweeted a lot. And um, what I said in that statement, a few people took is me blaming the tour. And, and that US wasn't it at all. No, not at all. What, what I was trying to do was explain how it happened, you know, how it could have possibly happened to 14 guys. I mean, it's, it's nothing that I've ever seen before. I did see some guys put up some stories, uh, you know, from back in the day where they had had that happen. Um, but I had never seen it before. And for that many guys to make the mistake, just I felt like I needed to put out what could have prevented it. But the biggest stressing on that these are not things that the tour is required or needs to do. You know, there was definitely some things that could have prevented this from happening. Um, the tee box on the up tee being a little more visible, the yardage on the scorecard we were playing, um, and not having the tee boxes out from the course out on the tees. And I know that's a bad uh, you know, I kind of got a lot of grief for saying that uh, because everybody said, well, the team markers were completely different from each other. How could you mix them up? We didn't mix them up. We just didn't look, you know, you kind of catch them out of the corner of your eye. Yeah. The group, in fr- the group in front of you played. Well, there. you see a group in front guy. of you on that box. And I mean, it's just, it goes, you just go with the flow. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I, I can't remember the last time I've been on a, T-box with another group and like, you know, intentionally checked that they were on the right T-box. They just <laughs> kind of, and, and that's honestly, you know, something to be cautious of and something to pay more attention to. We get so into going through the motions, get so focused on the golf, kind of go through the motions of some other aspects and uh, just totally miss things, you know, because somebody's response was, uh, you know, well, how did you know you were behind the markers if you didn't look at them? Well, I, I knew I was in between and behind the markers, but I wasn't like consciously looking to see which <laughs> markers they were. And for me, I, you know, there's, there's zero excuses. Uh, it's a hundred percent on the players, but for me, I played at T box every day. 
and I, I'm used to seeing those markers on that tee box yeah. every day. It's my home, my home course. So I felt, you know, obviously it sucks, but I, I definitely can see how it happened. Yeah. And you, I mean, you, to your credit, you basically said, and, and this is what I don't get where all the backlash came from. Cause you basically said straight up, it's the right call. The DQ is the right call. Yeah. You should have seen it. Uh, the scene with everybody out there, you know, guys, begging for a two shot penalty and let us keep playing. And, uh, uh, you know, that kind of stuff or, or there was all these things being thrown out for options for us to keep playing. Uh, and it's just, it's just not what the rule says. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I think that rule should probably be looked at because <laughs> there's, there's, there's no intent. We played the whole played it two thirty five into two ten. You know, yeah, it's, it's not like you were trying to get an advantage by playing that box. Right, right. The the punishment doesn't exactly fit the crime. And with all these rules changes that we've been adding, and I get that this is not casual golf. This is high-level competitive golf. And a lot of the rules changes have been to kind of make regular golf a little bit easier and more easily understood. But this might be a rule that the punishment doesn't quite fit the crime. It was a it was a cool story just in the fact that it happened and it can be talked about and looked at. It sucked that you were part of it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm I'm kinda you know, it's it's cool that you were because it gave this opportunity for us to to bring up a story that, that may not have got a lot of press and Well, you know, that's never gonna happen on a PGA you know, at a PGA tour event, obviously they've got one set of markers out. Yeah. They got caddies, they got spectators. You know, we have no caddies in our group, no caddies in any of the groups that played the wrong tee, uh, and no spectators, you know? So it's kind of interesting to, it's almost a glimpse for people because there is no professional sports being played right now. So the spotlight was on a little bit on the mini tour and, uh, it's kind of, you know, that's, that's just what we call mini tour stuff. I mean, that's something that would literally only happen on a mini tour. <laughs> mini tour life. <laughs> okay, so um, what else I wanted to talk about was um, you're you're going through some swing changes, and James, for everybody that has been following along with me on on the blog and Instagram, uh, James is somebody that I've always reached out to to get some you know advice when I'm struggling with one thing or another. And, and he's always been really friendly to um, you know, work with me and help me out when I'm stuck on some few things. Um, so when I see you going through some swing changes, it really, you know, piques my interest. So what, what's going on with you that you thought it was time to find something new in your swing? So I've been working with on my swing with working with a guy for about a year and a half. And, uh, I just didn't quite see the progress that I was looking for. And granted, I wasn't you know, as consistent on seeing him as I should have been, but he was, you know, up in Washington, I was down in Phoenix and he was down here for a couple months and it was just kind of hit and miss on when we could work together. Um, you know, so I just, I wanted to go a different direction as far as, somebody that I could see, you know, with ease, um, or get, get their, you know, take a lesson with, you know, relative ease. And that's kind of what steered me in the direction of online coaching. 
um, which I was pretty hesitant about because I'm like, okay, the guy's not seeing me play. He's not seeing me, you know, hit balls on the range besides a couple swing videos. But um, I, I ended up going that route and have been really liking it. Well, I'm, I'm a testament to online swing lessons because <laughs> Stavi <laughs> has transformed my swing from almost 3000 miles away through, you know, FaceTimes and video sharing. That's, and it's been incredible. So, so what, what do you see happening with this swing changes that you, that were, you're like, give it a go. Okay. I can see this helping me. What, what was it? Cause I, I know there's a lot of people that are out there that are hesitant with the online swing lessons. And I mean, right now, like, honestly, the online swing lesson format is blowing up because that's oh, all yeah. you've got. Um, you know, Rucket, I know they are out of stock on almost all their nets for, you know, at home. Um, and the all the coaches here in town that I follow on social media, they're all doing online lessons now. And it, they haven't missed a beat. Some of them actually have more lessons than they've ever had before. So what was it for you that you saw in the onlines that you're like, yeah, this is for me? I saw success with a lot of other players. Um, plain and simple. I, um, for those who don't know, I'm working with a guy by the name of Shaheen. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. I've never met him. I don't know how to say <laughs> his last name at all. But uh, he's, he's pretty well known in the Twittersphere. Um, his handle is at S-H-K-E-E-N golf. And I just, I've got a couple of buddies that have been working with him um, that play on the outlaw tour. Uh, and the, another guy that I grew up playing some junior golf with by the name of Dylan Wu. And I've just kind of seen their transformations and their swings from working with him. And I've been like, man, this must work because these guys are all doing lessons remotely. Uh, all their swings have gotten better. Dylan, you know, he was a good player in Northwestern. And he's always been a good player, but he's like contended in a couple of corn Ferry events this year. I think he's top 10 on their money list and he's playing just fantastic golf. Um, so I, I almost kind of let other people do the guinea pigging and, and I've seen the success and I, I kind of jumped on board. I try to be a leader in life, not a follower, but I was a follower in this instance. So how, how long have you been working with them now? Oh, um, about a month and a half and about six weeks. Um, and the first one, I first lesson I, uh, paid for just like one lesson. And then after that, I started, I, I looked at the videos he sent and I liked the stuff and I did a subscription where I can send and receive unlimited videos over the course of a month. And I just think that's absolutely the way to go. If you like the online format, if you can, you know, get something out of it, uh, find an instructor that offers an unlimited package, uh, because a lot can go wrong in a week time as far as golf's concerned. And you yeah. can, you can get the golf club in where you think is the right spot. And it's not, it feels different and it's not that different. So coming from somebody who's, worked hands-on with an instructor with you in person compare that to how the online thing is going and if there's been any fears that you had that have been squashed explain how that's going on um i would say the biggest 
fear would be kind of that one way communication as far as I send a video, he sends one back and that's the end. But with an with a um with an unlimited type package, you know, I send a video, I work on it for a couple of days, I send another video and get one back. And being able to check up on it that regularly, uh, I think is a lot more beneficial because when I was taking lessons in person, you know, even every two weeks felt like it was rushed. Um, as far as, you know, man, I got to take two lessons in a month. That seems a little bit over the top, but now it's more just like checkups, check-ins, uh, it's not just like full on lessons and there's no wasted time. Um, which is one of the big things I think, you know, you just send videos. Yeah. You're at the range anyways, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's no, there's no wasted time at all. So what, what is your outlook for what the changes you guys have implemented to where you feel like you're there and competing with this new swing? Testing it, uh, especially under pressure. Um, and kind of working it into the longer clubs a little better. I think that I've posted some video and some, some kind of side-by-side still frames with the iron shots the last couple of days, and the changes are dramatic. Um, you know, somebody that's not overly familiar with the golf swing might not pick up as much on them, but my my face angle of what we call P6, which is when the shaft is parallel to the ground in the downswing, my face angles change 10 degrees. Wow. Um, more, That's a lot. more square, uh, maybe even more. I, I didn't draw the actual lines, but I can see it's dramatically more square than it was, which means there's a lot less rotation through the hitting area of the club face. And, you know, like if a, if a putting stroke went straight back and straight through and the face just stayed square, that would be, you know, square for a long time. But if it arced a ton with the face opening and then arced a ton back with the face closing, the chances of that ball starting online are less than if it just stayed very square the whole time. And that's basically what we're doing in the swing is we're trying to get the face more square for a longer time without rotating the face a ton through the hitting area so that the face is stable. Yeah. P six is my bitch, man. God, (laughs) that is such a bad spot for me, right? But it's getting better. It's getting much better. Yeah. For me, my club's always been, the, the club head, like the shaft and everything, my body has been in a good spot, but the face is open in it. And I basically have to be very handsy from there to the ball to be able to square the club face. And we're just trying to get rid of, get rid of some of that. It's allowing me to lean the shaft a little bit more forward at impact to get my ball coming out a little bit uh, lower, a little bit better flight, a little bit more controlled and uh, more online more of the time. So have you seen, are you seeing results already while you're playing or are you just basically sticking with range sessions, trying to ingrain it in? Yeah. So I'm a big, big believer in playing golf on the golf course. Um, there's a guy by the name of Dr. David Cook who wrote the uh, golf sacred journey or seven days in utopia. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Cook always says it's the only sport where we practice in these, you know, perfect, perfect conditions and how many times do you go out on the golf course and have just like a stock range shot, you know, 
there's always there's bunkers and there's wind and there's uneven lies and there's pin locations and there's green slope you know so i'm a big big believer in getting out on the golf course so what i'll do is i'll spend maybe two days really working on it on the driving range when i'm making a swing change and i've hit more balls in the last month than i have in the last year probably um but i'm still still getting out on the golf course because i'll work you know two three hours on what i'm trying to do uh in the golf swing mechanically and then i'll probably hit balls for an hour with no thoughts and the next day i'll go play and you just kind of are able to gauge by the shots that you're hitting you know whether you're able to take it from the range to the course or if you're in the spot that you want to be or not Nice man, I'm looking forward to seeing how you do with it. Let's, let's, yeah, I'm really excited. Let's uh, let's dig into your bag. What what are you gaming right now? What are you playing? Start from the driver and work your way all the way down. All right, so I had a little driver issue a couple weeks ago. I had a sim nine degree driver that did you crack it? And oh yeah, <laughs> that's like that's a, that's one thing that um, a lot of people uh, might not ever have happened. But when you swing the golf club fairly fast i probably go through uh four or five driver heads in a year um this one i only had for two months <laughs> wow uh so i i toggled back to my m5 and then i got a new sim in, uh in the next week and i kind of went back and forth between the two but i uh ended up going with the sim uh so i've got a sim nine degree with a rogue silver 70 x shaft uh tip to half inch I've nice. played that shaft in my last four or five driver heads. Um, I just know that it works and I, 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 it feels really good. And my numbers have been good with every head I've ever had. Um, so I don't switch shafts very often, but, uh, um, the technology has gotten so good with these heads that they're not wildly different in how they come off that you can just throw the same shaft into Yep. Um, you know, at least if you're, if you're staying within the same company, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a tailor-made guy in the woods and all their heads have worked really well with the shaft. Except the ones that crack. Yeah. Was, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got to hit it. Not as hard. <laughs> all right. What, uh, fairway woods still. All right, this is, this is the second most exciting club in my bag. I am gaming a rocket ball stage two, 14 and a half degree three wood that I can't read the shaft on. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I have had this club for at least seven or eight years. Um, I have one in my garage and, right now, the head. And yeah. I, I got the original rocket balls tour in a, in a, uh, a project X, uh, handcrafted, uh, shaft that I just built a couple weeks ago. That is just ridiculous. It's such an over underrated head. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. And I, I wasn't playing this forever. I haven't been playing it all those years. I had a M3 that I liked and I <laughs> cracked the head on that. And, uh, they sent me an M5 and, uh, over the course of the you know week or so it took the M5 to get here. I was messing around in the, you know, the depths of my garage, as far as clubs are concerned. I found this old rocket balls three wood and went out and hit a few with it. And, it is not coming out of my bag until it breaks, <laughs> and I'm probably going to go on eBay and try to find a few more. <laughs> so it's such a good head. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a tailor-made UDI two iron that also came out of the garage uh, recently. 
Um, I was gaming a, uh, driving iron from the P790 line. Um, uh-huh. and just because I found that old rocket balls in the garage, I was searching and I was like, Oh, this, this two iron looks really cool. I've kind of been hitting that three a little bit higher than I'd like. The courses are getting firm. I'd love to get something real, real low. Uh, and this two iron comes out a lot lower. It's a little bit stiffer shaft and obviously a little bit less loft. And, uh, so I've got that in the bag right now too, which has been fun the last few weeks. Yeah, I I have played around with the UDIs. I've got one of the new Wilson Staff model um, driving irons. It's it's set at twenty one degrees, and I, I haven't been able to find a shaft that I like with it. I, I've got an old uh, Pro Force V two um, that I'm going to put in it and give it a try. But the the KBS the new hybrid shaft came with it, and it, it just didn't get along with me very well, and I put one of the UST Mamiya um, recoil hybrid prototypes in it, and it's better. It's just not right. So I'm I'm tinkering with that, trying to find something. I I love when that club is on. Like if I tee it up and you know on a, a like short par four, um, it's I just love the confidence knowing that it's going down the middle. It's it's really a good feeling for me. Um, but I just need to find something that that feels right with that head. Yeah, yeah, it's all about uh, you know trusting the equipment, and if if you've got a little bit of doubt, it doesn't work very well. No, not at all. That's I have a <laughs> lot. Of, I have a lot of bit of doubt. <laughs> all right, so what's the um, irons? So I was kind of technically on TaylorMade staff for a long time, and uh, played their irons my whole life from fourteen to fourteen years old to twenty five. And you get a couple years out of school and don't have status somewhere. The free stuff kind of stops coming. And so I was pretty freed up to try some new stuff. And I went with some irons that I had seen floating around online. They sponsored the outlaw tour as well. So I knew that um, they were kind of committed to mini tour players. Um, and I went with new level. Uh, I have the new level 623 blades in my bag. Uh, four iron through pitching wedge with a Nippon Modus 3 130X shaft. It's a good shaft. Yeah, yeah, it's a great shaft. I had the same shaft, and I got fully fit for these new levels, and I had the same shaft in my previous irons that I had had for two years. So I'm going on, uh, and I had it in irons before that. I'm going on, I think, about five years with uh, the Nippon Modus 130 shaft. Um, it's been great in my irons It's very consistent. Um, when I switched over from X 100, the consistency in my apex height, my spin rate got so much tighter with that nip on shaft. And I just haven't looked back since. And then when I got fit for my irons, I was not totally set on the new levels when I went to get fit for them. Um, but I thought I'd give them a shot and I was hitting balls and we finally, you know, dialed in lie loft and shaft. And I hit 26 irons in a row. Every shot you can imagine, you know, for me, you know, uh, I flushed a few. I hit a bunch okay, you know, just normal. And I, I missed a few, you know, that I thought I hit pretty poorly. And between the 20 shots, there was about seven yards of distance dispersion. Wow. Uh, and with a blade, that's like crazy. I would expect the misses to be way short, um, you know. And so I was getting a lot out of my misses. And the ones that I absolutely nuked were not going too far, which sounds like a weird problem, but honestly, like 
our margin for error, you know, on some of these tough golf courses with tough pins and, you know, trouble everywhere, you just can't have that random shot that goes 10 yards further than your stock shot or 15 yards further than your stock shot. And I've had that with several different irons that I've had throughout the years. And these are just very, very consistent in their distances. Yeah. We did a review on the, um, the, the utility iron, their utility iron, the, 225 i think what it is um Mm -hmm. and one of his wedges um and man great stuff i mean i i was really the quality the the first time i met him was at the pga show in 2019 just had a small little booth and i know he had been blowing it up on on the social media and so sat down had a conversation with him and he agreed to send over um you know the wedge and then send along the iron as well and man i've been really impressed yeah i really like i really like level um if you would have told me 10 years ago that i'd be buying a set of irons that i you know kind of found on twitter it's like (laughs) whoa you know but social media has just obviously changed all of our lives so much and given exposure to so many of these companies that you'd maybe never hear of or never would have a chance uh you know i've seen some other ones that i'm not i won't name but i've seen some other irons on there that you know just look amazing and putters custom putters and uh you know these these companies that just kind of find a little niche and do one thing really well um you know versus it's so different right like i i just can't really ever recall growing up you know not you know somebody not having one of the big you know i don't know what we would call it in golf the big five yeah taylor made callaway ping uh, you know, it's just, you know, Ben Hogan was like the, the old, like <laughs> company that was maybe a little bit out of the big powerhouse, you know, but now it's like, every time I get on Twitter, I see a new golf company or club or something that, that looks really good. And, and I mean, I have this, uh, Eagle rebirth golf, which when they, reached out and said, Hey, you want to get the shot? Cause I, I had met them at the Vegas PGA show a couple years back. And at the time they didn't really have their act together as far as getting social media presence and all that stuff. So they recently reached out to me and sent me a seven iron and man, it's, it's a really good club. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from it so far. I got to get the right shaft in it. Um, cause it's a little bit too light for what I've been playing. Um, and that's my fault. They didn't send the shaft. I just grabbed something from the, from the closet and put it on there. But I mean, I've sent you the numbers and I mean, it's equally comparable to what I'm playing right now. And I, I was impressed. I was impressed. So a lot yeah. of companies are doing that. I don't know. I don't know how guys, you know, I mean, make a choice. <laughs> it's tough. There's so much good stuff out there right now. Well, and, and now everything is so data-driven. You know, you, you take it, you put it on TrackMan, you put it on FlightScope, you analyze the numbers, you see, you go out on the course and you play with it. There, there's so many things that you can look at and try to narrow down to exactly what you want. And where before, like you were saying, you were limited to the big five. Now you've got 20 to choose from. So it's a, it's a neat day to neat time to be in the, the golf industry. So yeah, let, I'd be really interesting. Let, let's get into your, uh, your wedges and your putter and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. I know taking up a lot of your time. So I've got uh tailor-made milled grind, uh, two, the 56, 52, uh, wedges and a high toe 60. 
picky on wedges as long as the weighting is right and the bounce is right on the 60. Um, so I like those wedges. Uh, what shaft you have in those? The tour issue wedge shaft. So I, I don't like putting a, you know, a regular iron shaft in a wedge heavier. It doesn't kick right. Can't spin it as well. I, I and I, and it allows, if I have a regular shaft in there, it allows me to swing really hard at them, which I never really want to do. Uh-huh. So having a light, a lighter, softer wedge shaft in there, um, allows me to spin it a little bit better, feel the head a little bit more, which I like. And, um, promotes me to not hit full shots with my wedges. Somebody with your distance, though, that that comes into play a lot more than someone like me that I need as much distance out of them as I can get. <laughs> right. Right, yeah. When when stock pitching wedges is one, 155, there's, uh, I hit a lot of wedges. Jesus. So uh, what's your flat stick? What's the putter you're gaming? So if... Uh, <laughs> this is a funny one. I am putting with a bloodline. That's the name. That's the name of the company. Uh, the model. I'm not entirely sure. It is their mallet. Um, I think they only have two. They have like a small um, bladeish mallet, and then they have a full mallet. And, um, and this is the putter that stands up on its own, correct? It does, man. I have been getting grief. <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, I, You're I, a I don't channel know. infomercial. <laughs> Yeah, is that the infomercial putter? No, 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 no it's not. No, not, no, no, it's not. Not exactly. Bloodline was around uh, long before that. Yeah, and it's a much, much better uh, piece of equipment. It is amazing, man. I, uh, I can't tell you how much I like lining up the putter, sitting there behind the ball and just stepping in and letting it go. My routine has gotten a lot shorter. I think the less that people think when they're putting and the more that they act like they just cut a basketball and put up a three, you know what I mean? When, when Steph Curry's, you know, out on the wing, you know, he gets the ball and he fires, you know, and I think the more you can putt that way, the more athletic you are. I'm not a big numbers guy when it comes to putting. I'm huge visual, uh, reactive, pull the trigger um, type of a putter. And this has really allowed me to do that um, more as far as, you know, I know that I'm, I know where my putter is pointing uh, from behind the ball. And all I have to do is think speed, step up and hit it. That's good. I, I've gone through uh, kind of a different philosophy with how I approach putting, but one of it is exactly what you're talking about. Don't think about it too much. Pick your line, get up there and stroke the ball. And that has been such a huge benefit to me just getting that trash out of my brain. And so I can, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Rotella says in one of his books that human beings are wired to put their best when they simply see the target and react. Yep. I agree. A hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right. What ball are you playing? TV five X. I've been, with the tailor-made ball since I left UNLV, we had to play the pro V when I was at UNLV. But since then I've, and before then I've, I've been on whatever tailor-made ball that they've put out. I really like the TP five X spins a little bit more around the greens than a couple other balls that I've tried. And it's really good in the wind. So um, how, how often do you try a different ball or do you not even go that way? 
I find a golf ball on the golf course that <laughs> we're at and I'm hitting a second shot and I throw it, you know, it's sitting in the cart and I throw it down. That's about the extent that I hit another golf ball. So have you ever been impressed with something? Like you're like, wow, that really did more than what I was expecting it to. You know, not impressed, but definitely noticed the difference. Um, and this actually just happened the other day. I, you know, it, grabbed uh because our, our range balls are a little bit hard so every time that i find a golf ball on the golf course i take it in my bag and i'm gonna hit drivers with it on the range so that i don't crack my driver as often uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so i had one in my pouch of golf balls that i thought was just my you know new playing golf balls and i grabbed three balls and went to putt and one of them was a, a pro v and it was uh this year's model of the pro v one x which is what the old Pro V was. So it's their softer, more spinny one. And I threw down my three balls and I hit my first one with my ball. And then I pulled up that Pro V and noticed right there that it was a Pro V. I was like, oh, whatever, it's a ball and I'll put it. And I can't tell you how different it felt off the putter. Um, I noticed a change in ball more so in the feel off the putter than anything. Maybe a yeah. little bit in the chipping around the greens, but um, it just felt so much softer than my ball, not in a bad way at all. You know, if I only played that ball, I'd be totally used to it. But just noticing that difference was a little bit wild because it had been a while since I had even putted a different ball. Well, I, and uh, I took the uh, when the AVX came out, um, I played with it for a little bit and was really enjoying it. And it was suiting me pretty well. And then Neil did me the biggest injustice ever. And he's like, you can't, you can handle the clicking it makes with the putter. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, it's so audible. I can't stand it. And so, of course, the next time I go out and I putt with it, all I hear is click. You know, it's amplified a hundred times because he put that crap in my head. Um, but it, he was right. And it was like, oh my goodness, how did I never really, you know, I, it was just numb in my brain and my subconscious. Um, but the new AVX, they got rid of the click. So it's, uh, I've played a couple, you know, just messing around here and there with a couple and, uh, I like it a lot. So I like to tinker with golf balls. I, I yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, sometimes we'll be playing a, um, a putting game on the putting green where, uh, two people stand at a hole and you putt to each other's hole until you make, and then you flip flop, but you're. Uh, every other putt is with the other guy's ball. So sometimes I'll, you know, feel another ball uh, that way. But um, I remember Callaway had that problem with their first really good, you know, quote unquote tour ball. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was the first Callaway Chrome or Chrome Soft or whatever. And it was just instant, my click. And I, I know one of my good friends, Byron Meth, is on Callaway staff and the balls that he's had lately are not like that at all. Yeah, they they've really made some some strong improvements with it. Everybody's getting better. It's the it's just a trying the, the times that it is now. Everybody's going to do everything they can to get better. So, well, hey man, with social media, with social media, so many of these companies are seeing instant you know feedback on their product from what people say about it. It's it's crazy. It it, it happens so much. And it happens so much that uh, there it's now like data for them. 
And it's, yeah, it's, 100%. it's almost instead of paying a marketing firm to go out and, you know, do a study on it, they let the world of social media be their marketing company. So it's, it's fun to watch. Yep. And everything's gotten better because of it. Well, Hey man, I thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy. I know you're, you're out there grinding away. Um, I want to wish you good luck on what you got coming up and with the swing changes and I'm going to have you back on and talk cause there's so much more stuff we could talk about. And, and I, and I love your insight and I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, man. Thank you so much. No, no problem. I think so much for having me on. All right. And I'll, I'll have the links to your, uh, your coach and the, your social media stuff. So everybody can give you a follow if they're not. And everybody, as always, make sure to give good walk coffee company a follow. They're a sponsor of the podcast and, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks a lot. <laughs>